Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Losing coming into this game. Does that make sense? Yeah. And their losses they've had coming into this game. Makes perfect sense. And uh, we'll get a little more IU talk in the 9 o'clock hour, and the voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joins us. Right now we're going to talk a little Purdue, and we're going to turn to Alan Karpik, who's a member of the On3 Network and the present publisher of goldandblack.com. He joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Good morning, Alan. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of anticipation for the team tomorrow night in Mackey Arena. So is it uh, – uh, we've been talking about this most of the week. Uh, Purdue obviously has not had a game – in about a week leading into this IU game. Is that a good or bad thing that they've had a week off between games? Oh, I think for Purdue it's a good thing. Um, two reasons. One, they did play well for the most part against Ohio State. Kind of got themselves, I understand where Ohio State is in the standings, but got them at least feeling a little bit better about themselves after the Maryland loss. But also, uh, you know, I think every team right now is, uh, you know, the way the Big Ten schedule is condensed with 20 conference games, games and the way that uh, they go at each other it's just good it's actually good even after saturday night that purdue doesn't play again for five more days before they go to wisconsin on thursday night so yeah i i think purdue looks this is a net of net positive in terms of uh, you know they're only they've lost three of their last five games and uh, yes they righted the ship a little bit against ohio state but with indiana coming in i think they want to be as fresh as possible Alan, I'm going to play with you a quick version of fact or fiction, okay? Sounds so good, Jeff. I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me if it's fact or fiction. And my statement is this. While they are heated rivals of one another, Indiana and Purdue share one thing in common, and that is that they have elite-level play from elite players under the basket, and Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis, obviously. However... That's not what makes them go. What makes them go and puts them to the next level is trying to find consistency in backcourt play, and that's the biggest question mark for both teams, fact or fiction. I would say, and I can't speak, obviously, I've seen a lot of Indiana basketball this year. Certainly uh, Jalen Hutchifino has been great. Uh, Yeah, I would say that's fact, uh, and I would say that, uh, that is, and it's not a knock on, on Lawyer and Smith by any stretch. It just means that if you look at the Big Ten, look at look at Northwestern, even though they lost a big lead last night and ended up uh, paving the way for Purdue to get a share of the Big Ten championship if it wins on Saturday night. And my point is they've got really good guard play. Purdue has good guard play. Is it going to be physical enough? Is it going to be consistent enough when the lights come on in the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, is a legitimate question. So I think that's fact. Now, the question for me, Alan, would be this, and that is with Lawyer and Smith, and we, you know, we talked about it, obviously, over the course of the beginning of the year, you know, hey, freshman guards are freshman guards. Maybe that doesn't mean as much in today's college basketball as it did 25 years ago, because it's more common to get freshmen that are playing big minutes, but to me, it's probably less about, if you look at, like, inconsistency, let's say, from Lawyer, from a scoring standpoint, Maybe it's less about lawyer and more about teams figuring out just how to guard them differently and saying, you know what, this Edie guy, we, there's not much we can do here. Let's let's start to cut things off in other areas. Are they being guarded differently in the backcourt than they were six weeks ago? 
Well, I think I think that's true. I think that's, that goes without not necessarily goes without saying, but it's the reality of the Big Ten. It's a familiarity breeds contempt. They all, all these coaches know exactly what to do, and there there were certainly uh, signs of ways to deal with with Zach Eady uh, and the physical nature of what uh, opposing guards have done against Braden Smith and uh, Fletcher Lawyer has been a storyline, and that's not that I'm saying that. That's the physical nature of the Big Ten. And Purdue's got to learn to, those guys, especially, especially lawyers, going to have to learn to. They're not going to call those fouls. He's a freshman in this league. Uh, and I think that uh, if he was a junior or senior, maybe he'd build up enough equity to get some of those calls. He's getting physically uh, dealt with in, in a nice word, nice words uh, on the front end. I'm sure Indiana will try to do some of that as well. You, know, you look back at the first game between the two teams, and, and Moyer and Smith combined for a five for twenty from the field. Uh, those guys uh, need to be all, both not only capable of handling the basketball, but being offensive threats. So, yeah, I think the scouting, you know, the formula is there to be Purdue, but 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 also Fletcher Lawyer has been pretty damn good this freshman year. So, uh, you know, I anticipate that he's going to. As time continues to evolve, he's going to continue to evolve as a player and, and, and do the things that they need him to do to be at that level that Purdue wants to be at. Alan Karpik of GoldenBlack.com, part of the On3 Network, joining us on Kevin and Query this morning. Uh, Mason Gillis got the nod over Caleb first in the Ohio State game doing an illness. Uh, Mason Gillis also had a season high in rebounds in that game. Is Are they going to roll with Mason Gillis again in the starting lineup tomorrow, or are they going to go back to Caleb first? I would think that the, that Gillis will be in the lineup again tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, I would expect that to be. I don't know that it matters that much, except for that Gillis has done, you know, with the 29-point outburst against Penn State, uh, he has shown a little bit more of an ability to shoot the basketball uh, from a consistent standpoint. I mean, they're just different players. Uh, you know, Matt Painter, and it's a luxury to have. You've got nine guys that you could go a lot of different ways and play the hot hand, and for the most part this year. Yes, I understand the last five games haven't been the best for Purdue, but uh, this is a team that's had some interchangeable parts. And when uh, when Dave, you know David Jenkins has come off the bench, and given really good minutes from time to time, uh, even Brandon Newman has as well. And Trey Kaufman Wren is becoming uh, more confident and is doing a, doing more uh, as a backup to Zach Eady and also sometimes as a, as a backup four. So. Uh, yeah, that, that, I would anticipate that you're going to see Gillis just because Gillis is, uh, has been doing the job in a lot of different ways. And, and and there's some general feeling that first is maybe a little bit more comfortable coming off the bench. Alan, I have – you touched on something that is really intriguing to me. Trey Kaufman-Wren, we have seen, obviously, in some games – the reason that he was such a touted player coming in and his skill set to be a guy who, quite frankly, probably can, if necessity was there for it, contribute, you know, more minutes, more points, etc. I've been very impressed by his desire to kind of, you know, to redshirt out and then to, to be situational. But is Purdue, as they, as they continue to try to navigate the role of Trey Kaufman-Wren, in today's college basketball – are they like? Is there a window of time that they've got to figure it out before then all of a sudden it becomes what do they do with him? And I don't mean that as a knock on him. I could see him saying, "Hey, I could go somewhere else and get a lot of minutes." And that's that's today's college basketball. Sure. What is it about him that allows them that flexibility? 
Well, I think he's shown that uh, he, you know, he's he's contributing. He has become more of a back to the basket type guy, and and though he can be on the court, I think you're going to see more of that in time. But when you have Zach Eady in an offense, it's to some extent predicated on getting the ball inside consistently. Uh, I think you got to give the guy, which which he's a lot of credit, Trey Kaufman Ren, that is for doing what he needs to do to contribute. I, I think he's going to see his his game elevate. Uh, next year and years beyond whether Zach Eady is in a pretty uniform or not. Uh, you know, you never know in today's transfer portal world what would happen, what can happen and what guys want to do. But uh, I think he's been very committed to taking the longer road to this. Obviously, he read here last year. He had injuries as well. But there wasn't any room at the end last year for Trey Kaufman run to get significant minutes. And even this year, it's not been as much as I'm sure he would like. But you're playing behind Zach Eady. But, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they work him also into the four spot some, which we have seen Edie and Kaufman Wren maybe play a little bit more together. That's possible. Depends a little bit on the production of Caleb first as well. So all those factors make for a lot of intrigue, but I think it's a good if you're it's a good problem if you're a Purdue fan and a Purdue coach and Matt Painter to have is you've got a guy that's really playing much better getting more confidence, and whether he's playing 10 to 12 minutes, uh, and that's typically the case, he's been coming in and contributing consistently of late, and that's uh, been a big plus for Purdue. After losing back-to-back games for the first time, Purdue then bounces back and gets really the medicine they need with a big win over Ohio State, and I know Ohio State's down. Having said that, what did they do differently, or was there anything that you felt like you saw, Allen, in the Ohio State win that kind of let you take a sigh of relief after the two losses to Maryland and Northwestern going into it where you said, okay, that's an area that they did kind of shore things up other than simply well, think, playing a bad team. Well, I, you know, and two things. One, Ohio State, uh, yes, Ohio State has really struggled. And really that struggle started uh, when Purdue beat them in a game they probably shouldn't have won in Columbus on January 5th. Uh, that certainly started part of the Buckeyes spiral down. Um you know, I think the biggest thing maybe is was the turnovers, taking care of the basketball. Purdue is so dominant on the offensive glass, or can be, should be. And when you turn the ball over, that's what killed them against Indiana in the first half when you're down 15 in the game three weeks ago. You know, Indiana turned it into a run-out dunk show in the first half, and that was because Purdue couldn't, couldn't hang on to the basketball. Well, against Ohio State, they only had they had 11 turnovers officially, but a couple of them came in and mop up time, uh, and they had two or three turnovers in the early part of the game. But they went through for about 35 minutes with about five turnovers. Purdue just needs to get the shots up, let Zach Eady and and Caleb First and others on the offensive boards go get to the best offensive rebounding or with the top two or three offensive rebounding teams in the country, and they just need to go and do the job in there. And that's I think is the big factor, and that starts with not having 15 and 16 turnovers, which is what happened in those three, uh, in that streak of three losses in five games. Alan Carpet joining us for another couple minutes here on Kevin and Query. With all that said, Alan, what do you expect to see uh, tomorrow at night at, uh, in West Lafayette? Well, I, I think it certainly is, you know, obviously with Northwestern's loss last night, boy, the Wildcats had a huge lead in that game, as you guys have talked about, and, and let it go. Um, you know, I just think it comes down to it's going to be a lot of emotion uh, in that building. Heck, tickets are going for stump up for over a grand each in, in the lower arena for tomorrow, and that's craziness. Um, so it's going to be a re- you know Purdue Indiana. You don't need anything else, but when you have a Big Ten, a potential Big Ten championship on the line, 
there's a lot of motivation. There's motivation for Indiana, too. Indiana obviously would love to sweep Purdue in a year that Purdue's probably still going to win the Big Ten, uh, even if Indiana wins tomorrow night. But uh, I think it'll be a very competitive game, That's and I think it'll be a case of, you know, and I don't know, and I don't follow Indiana on a night-in, night-out basis, but it seems to me a lot of it, like you talked about earlier, comes down to, you know, the guard play and the Jalen Hood Shafino play like a like a guy that's going to be playing in the NBA before long, or does he struggle like he has to some extent on the road? Is it going to be the IU team that played at Illinois? Uh, is it or is it going to be an IU team that struggled at uh, Penn State and Maryland? No, that's what's going to be the going to be the storyline. It will be a jacked up environment in in uh, Mac Arena as it was in Assembly Hall three weeks ago. Uh, that's just the nature of this rivalry. Alan, the team that has the blue, and by team I mean a a team that does what has the blueprint that could give Purdue fits in the tournament. I, I think it's a team that can force Purdue into mistakes in the backcourt. Um, you know, shooting is shooting, and Purdue, every team's going to have some some uh, off nights. But if Purdue cannot get the ball consistently into Edie and and they force Purdue to be careless with the basketball. I think that's that could be Purdue's Achilles heel. That's that's it for a lot of teams. I just think that there's there isn't a, there's so much parity in the country this year. There's no great teams. Yes, Purdue's been number one for a good period of time, uh, but uh, they are one of the uh, certainly an upper echelon team. But I think the amazing thing about the tournament is going to be those one eight games. You know what happens if Purdue plays Kentucky in the first in the second round, or excuse me, it would be the third round actually in the in the NCAA tournament. I mean those types of games where your guards have to be really good. And Purdue's guards have been good this year. I'm not saying they haven't. I'm just saying that that's going to be at a premium. I I think Zach Eady is pretty much a known quantity of what he's going to do. Uh, Yes, teams will double-team him. That type of thing may limit his production, but he's such a dominant force. And that really hasn't changed in very many games this year. But it's going to come down to great guard play. And can you make shots? I mean, that's stating the obvious. But can Purdue make shots? You know, Mason Gillis... Uh, David Jenkins Jr.'s guys that have been had hot streaks from three. You know, you do that, and Purdue's going to be a really hard out for just about anybody. On three dot com is where you can read Alan's work. Alan, it's early, so I appreciate you getting up early with us. Always good stuff, and look forward to talking to you again. All right, guys, have a great rest of the show, and uh, we'll look forward to. You know, I'm sure <laughs> the rest of the season goes on. There's going to be a lot of talk about uh, Purdue and Indiana basketball, and that's a good thing. That is very fair to state, Alan. Absolutely appreciate it. Alan Karpik on the Payless Liquors Hotline. When we come back, we switch from the college level to the high school level, amongst other things at Greg Rakestraw, who yesterday you heard on these airwaves in the midday show. He will join us coming up here at the top of the hour on a Friday edition of Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Fan. Eight o'clock hour underway. I'd like to say hello to Matt this morning who sent a tweet saying, Clearly, Kevin Bowen's the glue to the morning show. 
probably don't disagree with that, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the glue, because if he's not here, then we're just the two rubber bands that bounce off of each other. And he was the... He was the guy that was here first, right? He was, that's a yeah. Fair statement. Uh-huh. Um, joining us now on the Payless Sugars Hotline, a guy that's been on this program many times, and you are very familiar with his voice, Greg Rakestraw, who this weekend, Greg, I want to begin with this. It's the IHSAA championship weekend for girls basketball, and I think sometimes that we, and I want your your thoughts on this. I think sometimes when it comes to high school sports, we get very swept up in like legendary players and simply like what teams have been dominant. And we lose sight sometimes of what I think it really all means. And I made reference to this story earlier in the week. But when I look at Fishers, who's going to take on Bedford North Lawrence, our friend Scott Long, who you know as well, who's been on this radio (laughs) show, you know, Scott's daughter maddie is a special needs student who has kind of be you know she's been a a manager and helped out with the girls basketball team and the girls on that team have absolutely taken her under her wing and she does a dance you know to the pep band before and after each game and has really just kind of blossomed i think i don't know her well but i follow the journey via scott on social media and She's just blossomed by getting a confidence and an identity from the, the, the girls, and their success as a team has given her, you know, like this purpose that she's proud of. And and I think, you know, that's actually what it's all about. As much as it's about, at this level, kids winning a ring, it's about the other kids and the people that are able to then feel good about themselves. And I think also with your hometown of Lanesville – this has to be for you a, a matter of a personal identity because you understand what it might mean for a town that has gone through some struggles to be able to have something to, to, to push their chest out about. Does that make sense on both counts? Sure. I mean, so first of all, on, on Maddie's story, and, and just like you, Scott and I are friends, and obviously Scott and I both have children on the autism spectrum, so this you know truly resonates with me. Um, you know, Lauren Votaw, the head coach at Fishers, the fact that, you know, she was so willing to have Maddie be a part of her program is is just so cool and is just so special. And, yes, you know, Scott and Susan, I get to have experiences as parents that when you have a child with autism, you're not sure you're going to have. And so for as wonderful as this is for Maddie, because of my life experiences, I'm thinking of mom and dad. And the fact that they two get to have this moment that, again, when you realize your child is diagnosed with autism or has whatever special need of the multitudes you could have, you know, your first thought is always the care and concern of your son or daughter. But then it hits you at some point in time, you know, I'm not going to get to have these other experiences because my kid may not get to have that experience. And so, that strikes me, and it's all because of the generosity and openness. Everything you said about her teammates is absolutely spot on. But it's the head coach that gave the opportunity. And so the fact that Lauren did that, you know, she will forever be cool in my book, regardless of what she does. And she's an outstanding coach. But the fact that she opened the door for that has, has made all of this possible. Now, secondarily, 
uh, on to the fact that my hometown is all leaving at some point today to come to Indianapolis to get a hotel room, and uh, I'm sure there will be a line outside Gamebridge Fieldhouse about 8 or 8.30 tomorrow morning, and there will be a purple stampede at 9.30 when the doors open, get everybody in the building to soak up as much of that energy and atmosphere and moment as possible. So I am so fortunate. I have now broadcast over 200 IHSAA state championship games, and three of them involve Lanesville. Uh, the baseball team runners-up in 2016, 1A champs in 2017. I literally just started doing softball right after Lanesville made it their other state finals trip, which was back in 2006. And the line that I had used a, a great deal this week, you know, when I was in school, I graduated three years before class sports started, and we got beat by New Albany. I, literally, there's the guy that played all three sports that, that beat us, that I literally, I'm standing on first base talking on my last baseball game and probably can't use the language. I said with a smile on my face um, that I did to Steve Stemley back then. Um, but, but the idea of having a state championship is kind of like when Norman Dale talks about the state championship in Hoosiers. It's kind of like me and you going to the moon. You know, we didn't dream about winning the state championship in Lanes. We dreamed about winning a sectional. When I graduated high school, we had three sectional championships combined in the history of the school. One in cross country, one in baseball, and, and one in, in, in boys tennis. And now we're competing for a second state championship. Uh, the girls basketball team has won five consecutive sectionals to get to this point. So it's, it's otherworldly to me that I get to go to these state finals on a regular basis. But that like all of my family, I've got four relatives that play on the team. And so uh, I, I will, I will uh, you know, give people a heads up as to what my social media plan is for tomorrow. At some point before I go on the air, I rarely take selfies. I'm going to take one right in front of the Lanesville section and try to get as much of it as I can. I'm going to label it as family picture because I have so looked forward to this moment because, uh, I, I, again, I, I, it just wasn't something on my radar that could actually happen when I began my broadcasting career. How many people live in Lanesville? Population is about seven or eight hundred. Uh, the school has almost doubled in size uh, since I graduated. So I was a class of 29, and the enrollment at the high school was about 140 at the time. Now the average class size is 60 to 70, uh, and the enrollment's kind of 240 to 250. And the crazy thing is, is that with the population growth down there, um, at some point soon we may actually kind of grow ourselves out of class A. Lanesville is a single township school, and the comparison that I make, it's not as big as this school corporation, which is a couple of townships, but the comparison I make here is Lanesville is akin to Monrovia. In other words, if you're coming from the west, it's the last small town you get to before you get to the suburbs and the big city. Same thing is, what's, what's directly east of Lanesville is Floyd Central in New Albany, and a lot of folks that, that live in Lanesville work in Louisville. It's a 25-minute drive at most to get to downtown. So the suburbs are catching up, and that's part of the reason why the athletic success has gone up at Lanesville High School, because the community is so much bigger than it was when I lived there 30 years ago. Okay. <clears throat> there is one school, Greg, that is playing this weekend in the girls' high school basketball finals that I don't know that I've ever heard of. <laughs> Which school is it? Uh, I would assume Bethany Christian is the one you're referencing. Lanesville's no, I know Bethany Christian. 
You okay. got another guess? So the other one would be the other would be Fairfield, then, correct? Correct. What, I know the hotel, but uh, <laughs> tell me where is Fairfield? The Falcons who are taking on Corden Central. So remarkably, the the one A and three A stories are amazingly similar. Fairfield and Bethany Christian are five miles apart from each other. Lanesville and Corden are eight miles apart from each other. So the 1A and 3A games will be contested by a set of next-door neighbors. Fairfield has been kind of on that enrollment bump between 2A and 3A. So Fairfield made a deep run in 2A last year, didn't go up on the success factor, went up on enrollment. So their enrollment would be upper 500s. Is about 575 is kind of the 2A, 3A cutoff at this point. Fairfield's had some volleyball success in the past. They've had, a, they've had some good basketball teams, and they got to this point by knocking off an undefeated Twin Lakes team in the semi-state last weekend. All right, fair enough. I'm looking at it right here. Yep. Gary Cannon, the superintendent's very excited about Fairfield getting in. So <laughs> what do you know? I thought it was a hotel. Greg, we got a big one in college basketball tomorrow with IU taking on Purdue. You think IU's hit a wall lately with their loss to Michigan State and Trace Jackson Davis kind of struggling, or – how do you see this one playing out tomorrow in West Lafayette? This is called schedule. Um, I think Indiana would have beaten Michigan State had that game been contested under normal circumstances. There are certain things that happen in life, and when you are the first team to have to go to Michigan State and play a game after what happened on that campus early last week, you're not going to win that basketball game. Yeah. That was an emotional buzzsaw that IU ran into. So, yeah, there were things that, that Trace could have done better, the team could have done better. You were not going to win that game at Michigan State. I'm not sure they're going to win the game at Purdue tomorrow either. Um, Jake's got them losing by 15. Purdue by 15 tomorrow. Uh, I was hoping I, I that, but, but knowing that how good Purdue has been, and I know Purdue has not been playing as well, but given the fact that Purdue's been thinking about this for the last three weeks and knowing they lost at Indiana, the return date, um, I kind of like the Boilers' chances tomorrow. What I will say is this, for as great as it is that those two teams are nationally relevant playing each other, because we have had that in such short supply over the last 25 years, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about how tomorrow's game plays out. And that's not anti-IU, anti-Purdue. We have just hit the point of the season where I kind of know what these teams are, and now I want to see what they can do in March. Well, I think, Greg, the, the storyline to me for Indiana and Purdue both, if you had to come up with one, because I, I tend to agree with you, you know, we got a pretty good idea who these teams are, even though both have lost two or three coming in. I think it, it, it feels like they have both done a really good job of building a resume to this point to put them in good position. Now they want to simply make sure they don't backpedal too much and fall off sure. of the line of seating of which they've cemented themselves. And I do think that Purdue is still, despite losing two of three, they are still on the one seed line, but they're at risk of perhaps sliding down to a two. And in Indiana's case, I think Indiana's pretty firmly in that four or five area. They just don't want to slide all the way back to a six. You got it. I mean, at, at the very high end, Indiana, they run the table, gets to a three. On the bottom end, they're a six. Purdue's a one seed, maybe a two. Yes, there's a difference in being a one seed or a two. Um, but just because of the, of the, I wouldn't say recent history, um, you know, for Indiana, but of their lack of tournament success, to me, everything is about getting to the second weekend and then 
take it from there. Let's go see what you can do. And everything for Purdue is getting to the second weekend and getting past that, you know, getting past that Sweet 16, getting to a Final Four. And again, I'm not sure we thought that was possible with this group when the season started, but then you're ranked number one for as many weeks as they were. It, it tends to be Final Four or bust. So it's kind of why, yes, it's great that these rivals are playing each other on February the 25th. I know Mackey's going to be packed. I know it's going to be crazy. But at the same time, I'm much more concerned, you know, with are these teams playing on March 25th than how they are playing on February the 25th. Ball State going to make the NCAA tournament, Rick? If they win the Mid-American Conference, um, it's the same thing with Indiana State. You know, there are so few opportunities for low-to-mid-majors to not have to win their conference tournament and make it to the NCAA field. Florida Atlantic would be one of those teams. I think Oral Roberts potentially could be one of those teams. And maybe Charleston is one of those teams this year. But, no, for, for as good of a season as Ball State and Indiana State have had, both the 20 wins, they know they have to win three, three games in three days at their conference tournament to be an NCAA tournament. Team. And, Ray, it's fascinating because here's Michael Lewis in his first year at Ball State. They've got 20 wins. If they were to eke their way into the tournament and then, can you imagine if they win a tournament game, and I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but Ball State, I think everybody knew when Michael Lewis came there that Ball State was probably at some point going to have to start getting creative in ways to to keep him there. But that could come early, as early as like April, right? I mean, depending on what they do here. That is the possible case, and again, it's a big part of of Michael's background uh, in terms of, you know, when you're in a high-profile program like UCLA, and frankly his time at Butler was pretty doggone successful as well as an assistant coach, he's got that experience in a Power 5 program. It's why I think it is possible he could be one and done in Muncie if they go on a run over the course of the next few weeks. And when you talk about coaches that, you know, moving on, we know that that's going to take place with the Colts. Bubba Ventrone on his way out. Going to Cleveland, I, on his way out the wrong way. He, he opted sure. to, to go to Cleveland. But um, how big is that? I would rather they have kept him, but I still think it's about the players. Um, and, yes, the Colts special teams have been pretty solid and pretty good. You know, the return game has been pretty dynamic. Does Bubba take some credit for that? Absolutely he should. But you also had some guys that were playmakers back there in, in Naheem Hines. Uh, Dallas Flowers has shown to be that guy, you know, the guy out of Pittsburgh State. You know, Ashton Doolin showed some pop uh, when he was in the return game. He's been phenomenal as a gunner. So I would have preferred they kept Bubba Ventrone. Uh, sad to see him go, but I am very much a proponent. It is largely about the guys on the field with that little extra added difference, you know, being the guys wearing, you know, a, a hat, a sweatshirt, or holding a clipboard on the sidelines. Greg Rakestraw joining us on the Payless Liggers Hotline on Kevin Query. Rake, I mean, Ventrone was at the Shane Steichen introductory press conference. Uh, do you think – so it's kind of a surprise that he ended up leaving. The departure due to the fact that he didn't get consideration for the interim head coaching job at the time, or is it just because Cleveland's home and home's where the heart is? I have no idea. I, I've had some conversations with Bubba. I wouldn't claim that I, that I know the inner workings of the man. Um, I, I really think that – you know, having played in Cleveland, maybe it's a chance to go back there. Um, I, I can't imagine it's hard feelings about not getting the head coaching job, or maybe this move gets announced earlier. And, again, it's, it's 
I liken it to, you know, let, let's kind of go take the organizational flow chart in terms of the dominoes that fell in the last six or, six or seven weeks. Once you knew that Chris Ballard was going to stay as the general manager, that it needed to be on him to hire the head coach. And largely it was in terms of Shane Steichen. And now once you hire Shane Steichen, what you have to do is say, Shane, go set your staff. So you can't handcuff him and say, hey, you got to keep this guy and that guy and that guy. No, if we, and saying we as the Colts organization, if we believe in you to be the head coach of this team, then you need to set your staff. So to me, it's probably more along the lines of what Shane Steichen wanted to do than say anything else in particular. Five days from now, we will be uh, just down the road at the Indianapolis Convention Center for the NFL Scouting Combine. Outside of quarterback, Rake, what is the next position group the Colts should be looking at long and hard with great interest at the Combine? I I think it's got to be wide receiver, Um, just because you need to add more weaponry, obviously, uh, on this offense. The receivers played well to start the season. Nobody played well to end the season. Uh, But it's pretty obvious that, you know, whomever the quarterback is going to be, you have to have more weapons around him. Uh, and so you, you love Michael Pittman Jr. You saw flashes from Alec Pierce. Paris Campbell, you're unsure of his status. And then you get my point. You have to be looking at wide receivers. So the That's second right. round seemingly has been fruitful for the Colts at wide receiver. Uh, I would imagine they go that direction. In terms of free agency, which is after the combine but before the draft, you know, I'd love to see maybe a little offensive line boost in terms of free agency. If they do that with a veteran wide receiver, I'm not upset about that either. But specifically for the combine, obviously your focus is those top three or four guys at QB. After that, look at the wide receiver. And, and, but, Greg, that's to me why I agree with you on receiver. To me, there are too many critical positions that need to be plugged to go along with whatever quarterback you bring in that puts them in the pickle of trading up. I, I get the fact of the value of securing that you can get your definitive guy, yep. but if you're still drafting fourth, to me, giving up that second-round pick, if that's part of the cost of moving up three spots, is really, really a heavy price tag because exactly what you say, they need playmakers to go with it. And that's why, again, we, we tend to get lasered on the draft, and I realize the Combine's here. It's in our backyard. And, again, when you're picking in the top five, it is a very big deal. I get that. But you can read the tea leaves what the Colts do about two weeks after in terms of free agency. And if there is a potential veteran brought in at wide receiver, and, again, let's, let's kind of put Paris Campbell off the side in terms of a returning free agent this team if, if, if he's back or not. But if it's somebody else and you go, okay, there's, there's, there's help at wide receiver, that could be your tip-off to Colts potentially moving that second-round pick. Yeah, I, I I just, man, I know Greg, or Chris Ballard, you know, covets Greg having multiple picks like in that three to five, and I'm with him this year. I, this year I'm, t- I'm saying hold on to the pieces. You, you don't want to yeah. give up pieces, but we'll see what happens. Greg, appreciate the time. Enjoy the week, games this weekend, all right? You got it, fellas. Take care. That's Greg Rakestraw on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Time, by the way, for a morning check down. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
o'clock hour is underway in Indianapolis. For that matter, the 9 o'clock hour is underway everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query, Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen, Sam Fritz on the big board. Tomorrow night at 7.30, you can hear Indiana and Purdue on our sister station. That, of course, being 93WIBC. And the voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joins us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline to talk about that and more. Don, before we get to the game, I'm going to incorporate my favorite Don Fisher trivia question, which I have only mentioned to you 346 times. Um, But I'll begin by asking you this question. Have you ever seen the late 80s movie Grand Canyon, which featured Kevin Kline and Danny Glover? Does that ring a bell in any way, shape, or form? No. Okay. Um, Which is not surprising. I mean, it wasn't like a huge hit movie, but... In the movie, Kevin Klein's son's name is Roberto because the character, Kevin Klein's character, is a diehard Pittsburgh Pirate fan, and Roberto Clemente was his favorite player in his childhood. And I have all, I, I've always found this fascinating about you. Am I correct in saying, as I have pointed out before, uh, you share that sentiment? The Pirates were your favorite team as a kid, correct? They were absolutely my favorite team because I saw them when I was 10 years old. I saw them play uh, with, a lot, with the rest of our Little League program that went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to see the Pirates play the Braves. That's when you know, the kind of Braves were still there in Milwaukee, uh, which tells you how old I am. Um, and I, I saw Roberto go three for five at the plate. He scored from first base on a double. He uh, threw a guy out at the plate with a, sh- a shot. That right arm of his was maybe as good an uh, arm as it's ever been in right field. And he threw the ball about 15 feet above the ground and hit the catcher in the glove, and he didn't move his glove as the guy slid into home plate and threw him out. It was just the most remarkable play I think I've ever seen. Of course, I was 10 years old, so it probably balloons in my mind in that way. But, no, I became a Pirate fan when I was 10, and uh, I've been a Pirate fan ever since, although – in recent years, my uh, fandom has waned. Yeah, I was going to say it's been it's been a little rough. But I think, Don, and this is what I think for IU basketball is so special to so many people, is that a large part of sports is the nostalgia of being reawakened of that magic of your childhood, right, of seeing plays and players that mean something to you and wanting so badly to be able to watch that again. That's like 90% of sports to me, right? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, what you grew up as a kid listening to or watching or seeing in person, uh, what you did from a playing perspective, just playing out there in the, on the sandlot, so to speak, and, and playing two against two at a baseball game, because <laughs> I did that as a kid. Uh, all of those kinds of things play into your thinking process and play into what you really value uh, from a nostalgia standpoint. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind, that's why I became a Pirate fan. That's why I followed him for all these years, even though, this, like I say, I don't follow nearly as close as I used to because they don't spend any money, and they trade everybody away that makes any money. Therefore, I'm not as big a Pirate fan as I used to be. <laughs> you realize, wait a minute, if they're not going to invest in this, why should I, right? That's also exactly. part of sports. Hey, let's talk about this, and this is a really Maybe this is going to sound like a dumb question, Don, which I know will shock you. But with Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis is putting together, you know, what he is doing is remarkable in terms of his all-around statistical contribution to Indiana at this point. But you always do need help. And Xavier Johnson, you know, if he is going to come back, 
does Indiana start to run the risk of it being kind of too late to reacclimate him, or can they just kind of plug him in? And if he is healthy, everything just picks up where it left off. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. Obviously, uh, the latter. Uh, there's no question that X has been missing for some time now. Obviously, since the Kansas game, which means uh, that happened back in mid-December. Uh, this guy is such a special player in the sense of what he can do defensively. Uh, obviously, he's a really good point guard. Uh, he, he has his moments where he's not uh, what everybody wants to see out there because he gets a little carried away or goes a little too hard and maybe tries to make too many things happen. But what he does defensively for this team, I think, is the missing piece that they've had problems with ever since. And I'm talking about a guy who can guard the toughest guy on the other team from a quickness and athletic standpoint uh, because of his toughness and his ability to move. And the question is, when he comes back, will he be that same guy? That's number one. And then number two, uh, if he's not the same guy, then what do you do? So from a coaching perspective, I think Mike Woodson is going to try to play this thing as, as best he can under the circumstances with the injury uh, how well he's going to be when he does come back, and then how do you insert him back in the lineup as a starter, as a guy coming off the bench? There's so many questions to be answered. I do believe that X will be back, and I think he'll be back maybe next week. Uh, I don't think he'll be back for this game against Purdue, perhaps Iowa, hopefully, if not Iowa, then certainly for the closer against Michigan in the regular season because I think he needs to get a game or two under his belt before he starts playing in the Big Ten tournament which would, if he gets back to any kind of normalcy, I think he can really help this basketball team. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joining us on Kevin and Query this morning. Don, obviously an emotional uh, evening in Michigan State the other night in the game. Trace Jackson Davis had a bit of an off night, seven turnovers in the game. Uh, just an off night, or is that because logging some heavy minutes is starting to catch up? Well, I mean, uh, that's all possible. I mean, uh, th- there's no question Michigan State had uh, a different perspective on how to guard him in this ball game that they did the first time i think indiana made some adjustments uh nothing that seemed nothing in this ball game seemed to work uh to get this team off the snide so to speak uh i i wasn't surprised that it would be very emotional for michigan state and i certainly thought that this would be a very difficult challenge to beat them at michigan state in the first game back from the travesty that took place a week before so, you know, and I, I think that's part of what happened in this ball game. But Indiana continues to struggle at times with not having enough. Times during the ball game, because certainly they got off to a great start, but then it kind of it all fell apart and they couldn't put it back together again. And that's been a problem with this team on occasion this year. They, they have problems after they get going well to maintain that consistency in a ball game. Other times they've been really good, and primarily the times that they haven't is gone. It's a big concern at this juncture of the season. Don, when you look at, you know, when we get into the time of year, Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, when you start looking towards, and I know we still have Big Ten tournament to play and games to play, but we've seen enough body of work now. Is Indiana a situational team? And by that I mean, are there certain teams that you look at and you say, in the right situation they can win that game, or is there a definitive blueprint of opponent 
that when you see it, you go, oh, boy, they're in trouble because that's what they can't necessarily battle against. Is there any one style of team that you could definitively say is Indiana's true kryptonite? You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I, I haven't thought about it in that context, but at this juncture, I think most of it's because Indiana hasn't done what they need to do. And, and I don't think it's because of what the other team has done. I think Mike Woodson, the one thing about him as a coach that I think is really good is he's seen just about everything. Um, and he obviously game plans based on what he's seen from film and those kinds of things. So I, I'm very, I'm not concerned about his game planning or anything like that. I think that the big question mark is consistency with players. And uh, that's the one thing that I don't think we've seen enough of this year. Uh, Trace has been the one constant you can you can lay or you can go out there and lay money on the fact that he's going to have a good ball game. I mean, you're talking about the game against Michigan State where he didn't have nearly the game that he's had previously. He had 19 points and seven rebounds. Generally speaking, that's a pretty good night's work for a, for a big man inside. Uh, in Trace's case, he's carried this team at this point. Um, and, and that's that's the one thing. I mean, Huchifino is really a good guard. He's he's really become a good player, but he's turning the ball over a few too many times. And I just think getting X back would really help this ball club from a defensive standpoint. And I think those two things, uh, the consistency of the, the role player, so to speak, that number one, and then number two, I think the defensive problems they've had, a lot of it's due to the fact that they don't have a guard like X who can guard the quickest, fastest, toughest guy on the other team. And if you look at the games that Indiana has lost this year, oftentimes it's because that one guy that they couldn't guard consistently. Bowie kid, uh, the young kid from Maryland, those guys had uh, a really kind of their way with Indiana in those matchups, and they were the reasons that Indiana couldn't win those games. Don, speaking of consistency, I – I wanted to ask you about this because you know you you obviously are watching literally every set of of a game. That's what happens when you're the play by play guy. Does do games get officiated in the Big Ten consistently? Do, do you have a pretty good idea from one game to the next what is allowed and what is not, and what is tolerated and what is not? I've said this for many years now. I don't think there is enough consistency in the way games are called. And that's from game to game. It changes. Uh, it depends on who the officials are. Uh, and even with the same officials, you'll see them officiate the game differently from half to half, for heaven's sakes. Um, I, I, you know, I know it's one of the hardest games in the in the world to, to referee or to be an official for because of the athleticism that's involved, all those kinds of things. And you see it in the NBA, too. They're, they're nice when you look at a couple of plays, and the next thing you know, it's, it's officiated totally differently down the floor uh, by another official. I, there's just not enough consistency in that standpoint. But you can't really blame officials. Uh, the game is so fast. It's so quick. The replays, I hate. I've always hated the replay aspect of it. I think it takes away from the momentum of the game. Uh, and I think if the official makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. You know, that's just the way it should be. I think down at the end of ball games, that might be the only time I would look at and review a play. Uh, but not today. They they disrupt the ball game, even if it's in the first 10 minutes of the contest, to look at something. So 
I think it's, you know, at this point, I think it's just a, a tough game to officiate, and I don't think there's enough good officials. We certainly don't see enough good officials in the Big Ten, that's for sure. He's the great Don Fisher joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline on Kevin and Query this Friday morning. Don, 14-1 and one at home, 4-7 and seven on the road. The Hoosiers averaging 11 points fewer per game on the road, and their three-point percentage takes a dip. Why are they struggling on the road? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a coach. I can't really tell you. I just think it's a different mindset. The one reason that I think that Indiana was great on the road or at home when Bob Knight was the coach is that he put no emphasis on the fact that it was going to be a tougher game when they got on the road or it was tougher to win on the road. He said the baskets are the same height. The floor is the same size. Uh, We're not going to worry about where we're playing. The difference now is that these kids all revolve around the crowd noise and all those kinds of things. Um, it just, to me, it seems like there's just more emphasis on the fact that, well, we're going on the road. It's going to be a tougher matchup. And, and Bob Knight never looked at it that way. And he got his players to think that, that, that it wasn't going to be a different kind of ball game. That's why they were so successful in those years. And uh, at this point in the season, uh, I don't think you can change that mindset. So we're going on the road to Purdue on Saturday. We'll see what we're going to see. But Indiana has won a few ball games on the road this year in Big, in Big Ten play, and they've been important games. So we'll see if Indiana can pull it out this Saturday. Don, for you, which is a greater sentiment? Kind of the joy or the pride for him in seeing Mike Davis's son become the second all-time leading scorer in NCAA history? or the feeling of being really old that the really cute kid that Mike Davis was carrying around at the Final Four is now the second all-time leading scorer in NCAA history. <laughs> well, I It's crazy, it. isn't it? It is crazy. And, and Antoine, has he just had a remarkable career playing mostly for his dad, and there's no question that, that Mike is so proud of him, and he should be. I mean, this kid has been phenomenal. And when you consider that he plays in a league, yeah, it's not the upper echelon league or anything like that. But this kid's had people guarding him two and three abreast at times through his career and still has been able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish. And I just think it's remarkable. I'm so proud of Antoine and what he's been able to do. And, of course, Mike and I have been close friends for years, and I don't think there's a finer person in college basketball than Mike Davis. Don, in terms of the game tomorrow night, Don Fisher is our guest on the Payless Circus Hotline. Getting back to that, um, one of the real fun things for me is it just – this is the way it should be. Two ranked teams between Indiana and Purdue. You know, at this point, I think Purdue's got a pretty strong hold on the regular season in the Big Ten. And now perhaps the fun thing comes down to the National Player of the Year with Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady. Both of them have just been wonderful players this year. Uh, we know now that Jackson Davis, this is going to be his last year in Bloomington. Did that surprise? Did you think that there was a chance Trace Jackson Davis would come back this year? After this year? Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, honestly, I I was surprised he came back last year. Um, I think for the last couple of years, we thought uh, he really believes that he can play in the NBA, and I think he can. But the question is, can he shoot it in the NBA? And if he can't. The, the the career is not going to be all that long because his athleticism is terrific. He can play the four. Uh, he can do the things that, that you ask of a player from a defensive standpoint because of his athleticism, his quickness, his ability to guard people. But you've got to be able to shoot the basketball in, at, at the NBA level. And 
I, I just don't know. At 6'9", uh, he's got all the tools to be a really good player in the NBA, but that the lack of a shooting touch at this point and the lack of showing that um, is going to is going to hurt him. We know that. We know what the mock drafts say. All those kinds of things. Um, I'm not going to be surprised at all if he doesn't come back because I don't think he really wants to. I think he wants to get on with his life whether it's in the NBA or elsewhere. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, I know that he has said, you know, hey, this is it for sure. I'm going to go through senior day. I And, I, Don, I'm, now I'm going to sound a little ridiculous. I, I did think there was the chance, just based on NIL and other things, that he would explore it because of what you talked about. Because And maybe, to be honest with you, Don, this is, this is not a knock on Trace Jackson Davis at all. If he were to come if, – if, in fact, which we know now he's not, but if he were to come back next year – then the worry becomes, is he only coming back to showcase what he wants NBA scouts to see of him, and then does that come at the detriment? I've seen that other places, right, where guys have kind of been working harder on their NBA craft than helping out their college team, and he hasn't done that. He's been a remarkable player for Indiana. No, there's no question. You're exactly right. I mean, if you want an example of the guy that's thought about his stock in the NBA and how important it was and how he changed his game, Look at Thomas Bryant when he played for Tom Green. Yeah. I mean, they needed him inside more than anything else, and he wanted to be out there. Boy, he hung a lot of time on that three-point line, didn't he? Exactly. That's my point. So, no, Trace Jackson Davis has been about the team his whole career at Indiana. That's That's one of the things I like most about him. More than that, though, he is still just a great young man and a terrific person. Uh, whatever he's going to do in his life and whatever comes along for him, he'll be great at it. There's no question in my mind. Don, a uh, question for you about next fall. Uh, J- Jalen hood Shafino, Trace Jackson Davis, Miller Cop likely all leaving. What does this team look like when we get back together in the fall with the basketball team? What's Mike Woodson's roster going to look like? Who's going to be the starting starting five? <laughs> Transfer yeah. portal, right? I know. Yeah. Exactly. There's there's no question. They've got two two commits right now. Uh, obviously, they've got a lot more spots that they could fill, and you don't know who's going to leave uh, at this point. What it's going to look like in the fall, I can't even begin to guess because obviously there could be a lot of things transpire here in the in the summertime uh, or through the portal aspect of things. And NIL means a lot in these days too in regard to who you can get and what you can pay them. It just makes me sick to say that. But nevertheless, um, I I think next fall is going to be totally up in the air for a long time here to come. Don, tomorrow night uh, on Saturday night when you are making the call from Mackey Arena, I'll be – Shannon and I are going to Lawrence, Kansas to go see Kansas play tomorrow afternoon, and we will be in the car almost perfectly timed to listen to the entire call tomorrow night from Mackey Arena. So we look (laughs) forward to it, and uh, hopefully it should be a great game for you to call. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Well, there's no question about that. Mackey's a special place to play, just like Assembly Hall is. You can say this about Indiana. you got two of the greatest places to watch college basketball, and you got one of the greatest places to watch the NBA in Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's just three phenomenal facilities. No doubt about it. Don, enjoy it tomorrow night, and we look forward to listening to the call. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, Don Fisher on the Payless Sickers Hotline, Indiana and Purdue, tomorrow night, 730. You can hear it again over on our sister station at 93 WIBC. Time for a morning check down. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.